Let's bow our heads together. Father God, we thank you this morning for another day to serve you, another opportunity to be on this earth to be your ambassadors. Lord, we thank you so much for coming to this earth to be born in a manger, to die upon the cross for us, to pay for our sins. It's all your grace and mercy. And we just praise you for salvation. We pray for uh, Pastor Joe and uh, the stomach flu. Uh, it can be very draining, very tiring. Just pray your healing hand upon him as well as watching over his family. Pray for Pastor Steve as he shares from his heart, from your word about 2018, things that we can improve on as a congregation. Father, may we take it to heart. And Father, just pray for the whole pastoral staff. We pray for each one here, Lord, that you will continue to lead and direct in each of our lives, that we will be listening to you through your word, through others. Father, that we can grow and become more and more like Jesus. Father, again, thank you for your love. Thank you for this opportunity for us to meet together today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2017, in some ways, was a long year, and in some ways it went fast. Of course, they say the older you get, the faster it goes. That's probably true, but uh, nonetheless, we had quite a few um, events in 2017. And when we get to a new year, it's often something we do is review the past year. And as I was thinking of 2017, I remember the week of Labor Day in September. Dave, the weatherman on Fox 13, the hurricane trackers on Channel 10, the Weather Channel mapped, remapped, predicted, updated the path of a hurricane named Irma as it was categorized as a Category 3, 4, or 5 as it made its way across the Atlantic Ocean. At first, it was forecast to be off the east coast of Florida, but by the end of the week, it was updated to come up the west coast of Florida, headed toward Tampa Bay area. By the end of the week, Governor Scott declared Florida to be in a state of emergency. Interstate 75 became clogged as people tried to evacuate the state, and gas for cars became harder and harder to find. Schools were canceled, church was called off, and the choice to evacuate or ride out the storm soon came to an end. On Sunday, September 10, our iPhones chimed and declared warning after warning to seek shelter immediately, our high winds approaching as Hurricane Irma came up the west coast of Florida. Faith or fear, which one will it be? Will God leave or forsake us, even though Scripture tells us He won't? Is God really sovereign over even this situation? In the midst of the unstable world we live in, that includes hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, floods, and other catastrophes. In the midst of an unstable world that teaches that the Bible is obsolete and irrelevant, and sin is not only to be practiced but encouraged. How do we maintain stability on a spiritual level when everything around us is falling apart? God's Word gives us the answer. Please join me in Philippians chapter 4. And in the first nine verses, we find seven attitudes of action 
that we can exercise to achieve and maintain spiritual stability when storms like Hurricane Irma cross our path. Over the next two studies, we will examine these attitudes of action and with God's help, we will learn to apply these to our lives daily so that we can maintain balance and poise when we're tempted to fear. Maintaining our poise when panic sets in is only possible with God. Webster defines poise as something that maintains its equilibrium perfectly under adverse conditions or in opposition to external forces. How poised were we when the winds of Hurricane Irma headed our way on that late night of September 10 and the early hours of September 11? Did we fear or was our faith strong enough to stabilize us and our families and friends? This storm, I don't know about you, but it challenged my faith, taught me anew of God's sovereignty over all of our lives. My youngest son, Jason, reminded me before Hurricane Irma arrived that God is sovereign and nothing gets past Him, whether it's a literal storm or a spiritual storm in our lives. God has us in His mighty right hand, and no one can snatch us out. Today, we're going to look at four of the seven attitudes of action that we need to implement We need to have as part of our lives if we're going to have stability in every situation and circumstance we face in life. We'll look and examine Philippians 4, 1 to 6, but we'll read the whole passage. So follow along with me. Philippians 4, 1 to 9. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, So stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Odia and I urge Synthic to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father God, just as we look at the encouragement of your word, your direction, your guidance, your commands, Lord, here in Philippians 4, help us to take it to heart. Help us, Lord, to live every day 
that as we've shared in the past, that others might see a glimpse of Jesus in our lives and know that you're real because you're working on us. Not that we've come anywhere near where we need to be, but that we are striving to make some progress. And with your help, that's the only way we can do it. Father, give me the words to speak. Give me insight here to share with my brothers and sisters that I'm not only challenged, but everyone here challenged by what you say in your word, that we follow it and implement it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It begins, therefore. And therefore means it's referring back to what Paul recorded in Philippians 3, 12 to 21. Verses that shared how we're to become more and more like Jesus, but it's only possible with God's help. Paul zeroes in on who is sharing this with, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown. He's sharing here from a pastor's heart. Paul wanted those in Philippi to know how much he loved them. Paul had sent Timothy and Epaphroditus to this church in Philippi, and the apostle was thankful that these believers had financially supported him over the years and all his ministry opportunities. Paul's desire for these believers was that they stand fast in the Lord. That's the key. We can't stand fast on our own because then literal hurricanes or spiritual hurricanes will knock us over. But the key is that it's standing fast in the Lord, planted with God's strength in our lives. It's a military term of holding the front line in battle while under attack. I'm reminded of Ephesians 6, 10, 11, 14 says, Be strong in the Lord that you may be able to stand. And then it says, Stand therefore. Paul speaks of standing fast in other writings in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Stand firm in the faith. Galatians 5.1, keep standing firm. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, so then brethren, stand firm. Standing firm includes following the word, modeling what it teaches, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, and doing God's will. So with the foundation of verse 1, we come to the first attitude of action we must follow in order to have spiritual stability in our lives. And that's in verses 2 and 3, seeking unity and harmony in the body of Christ. It says in verse 2, I urge Odia and I urge Cynthia to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We need to seek that unity and harmony that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul is urging, imploring, begging, and pleading for these ladies as he did in chapter 2, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. We don't know the details of whatever their disagreement was, but with all the outside persecution of this local church, this dispute wasn't good. 
between these two women. Paul, as a loving shepherd, wants those in the church, namely these two ladies, to live in harmony. The name Yodius means sweet fragrance, and Synthic means pleasant, but that fighting wasn't showing what their names meant as they were disputing. And it become disruptive, so that Paul shares in verse 3, he shares true comrade, he speaks to true comrade, or true companion, which is the Greek word for sizogos, which is likely the proper name of one of the elders of Philippi. He was directing this Greek to intervene, to do something here, because of this disagreement was hurting the church. Even though it was between the two ladies, it was the responsibility of this Greek, or the Greek word Sezokis, which is likely his name, of that elder, to do something and not let it continue on. Paul reminds the elder here, the true comrade, true companion, these two women had been members of the Philippi Bible Church since it began, from its very beginning. Its beginnings are recorded in Acts 16, where Lydia was the first convert. Then as Paul and his team stayed at Lydia's house, a demon-possessed girl began to harass them till Paul cast out that demon in God's power. And then the owners were riled up so much that they threw Paul and Silas and had them beaten up and thrown into prison. But then an earthquake released the two preachers. And the jailer and his family were saved. Isn't it amazing how God works all these things out? Because God has a plan. God's plans are never wrong. We don't understand all of them, but that's why we take it what? How many days at a time, Doug? One day at a time. Because that's plenty, right? Especially on September 10 and 11 through that night was a long night as well. But God is sovereign. God is watching over us. Then while Paul and Silas were in jail and the earthquake came, the law enforcement found out then later on that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and they were wrongly arrested. And that's not a good thing. And so they begged him to leave. But before they left, and this is amazing, in Acts 16.40, Paul and his team encouraged them. They were in prison. They were beaten. They were being mistreated in many ways, but they encouraged those that were there in Philippi. It says in Acts 16.40, So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. That's amazing. Here, instead of them saying, look at how badly we've been treating, they encouraged those who were left there because they loved Him in the Lord. That's the love we need to have for one another. That's how we can have the unity among the believers. It says in God's Word, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We're to exhort, admonish, encourage each other daily. How many get too much encouragement? How many give too much? Okay, so I don't see any hands. I never do because that's a challenge for all of us. How often do we encourage a brother or sister? And how often do we hear their encouragement to us? That's something that helps us to know how to pray, how to intervene, how to help one another. 
The first attitude of action we must follow in order to have spiritual stability is seeking and maintaining unity in the local church here at Lakeside. Grudges, being judgmental, jealous among our brothers and sisters is out. Christ-like love toward one another produces stability so when the storms of life come, physical or spiritual, we can uphold one another. We can encourage one another. Intercessory prayer, bearing one another's burdens, being doers of the Word and not hearers only, are some of the ways we can be unified in Christ. We're unified, why? We're unified through the Word. Through Jesus being our Savior. Through having the opportunity every day to walk with Jesus. To be like Enoch. Back in Genesis it said one thing about his life that he walked with God. They looked at Enoch's life and his family and those around him looked at his life and they said one thing we know about Enoch, he walked with God. May that be true in our lives. As people look at us, they watch us, They see what happens in the middle of a hurricane or after the hurricane and all the opportunities we have to to maybe share the gospel but to also get out with our neighbors and help cut up trees that have fallen, to help them repair things that need repair, getting out there and being a witness for Christ in whatever we do and say. If there's dissension in a local body of believers, the testimony of that church is hurt. It's questioned. Look at some of the churches addressed in Revelation 2 and 3. It says, Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, you have left your first love. Pergamos and Thyatira, few things are against you, eating things sacrificed to idols, to committing sexual immorality. Sardis, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. And Laodicea, I know your works that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot, so then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. We at Lakeside as a congregation of believers who seek to teach and obey God's Word, grow closer and closer so we may maintain stability in the storms of life. I tell you, I'm thankful that we have one another. Seeing inmates, seeing soldiers in the past who don't have a church, local church support, they really struggle. But we are blessed to have our brothers and sisters here that we can turn to when we need prayer, turn to if we need help or encouragement. That's sometimes something I think we take for granted, but we never should. There's not a lot of churches that preach the word straight out of the word anymore. They're rare. There's few around. But praise the Lord, we're part of this church. And so we too need to continue to pray for the leaders here at Lakeside because they're under attack. Uh, When you share the word, you don't get a pat on the back from the world. Satan does everything he can to oppose God's word because God's word is truth, total truth. Now we come to the second attitude of action as we approach Verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. That second attitude is rejoicing what? In the Lord. That's the key. Rejoice 
is a joy, not a feeling here, but a deep down confidence that God is in control, no matter what's going on. Because the focus of our rejoicing is in the Lord, not in the circumstances, not whether we feel it or it's some emotion, but rather it's knowing a confidence that God is sovereign over all. We're in God's hands every day. When we wake up in the morning, God has woke us up for a reason. We need to say, God, thank you for waking me up. That means at least right now you have a purpose for me today here on this earth. Someday we as believers are going to wake up where? In glory, in heaven, with the Lord, where we'll spend eternity. But we walk once on this earth. One time we have an opportunity. Every day is a gift. Just like what is today? January 7, 2018. How many still write 2017? Got to get used to 2018. There's only going to be one January 7, 2018. It's right now. Are we going to walk with the Lord or are we going to go our own way? Are we going to reflect Jesus to others or are we going to reflect ourselves? That's the question every day. Paul reemphasizes what he had said earlier when he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, he says again, Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice means to be glad, to experience joy and gladness to a high degree. Psalm 63, 7 reminds us, Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Solomon recorded in Proverbs 15 and 17, A joyful heart is a good medicine, and a cheerful heart has a continual feast. So when we wake up in the morning, you say, well, I don't always have a smile in the morning or whatever. Maybe we don't, but inside we should have God's joy. Say, God, thank you for another day to serve you. What can we rejoice about in the Lord? Rejoicing in the Lord because He's sovereign over how much of our lives? All means what? Everything. Means everything. And as my professor said one time in seminary, in fact, several times, says all means all, and that's all all means. <laughs> I always remember that. Quite a definition. There isn't one thing that happens to us that is out of God's control. That should comfort us. God controls it all for our good. Reading Psalm 139, we were told, God knows when we get up. He knows our words before we speak them. He knows where we're going and what we're doing. Every minute of every day, we're here on this earth. There are many at Lakeside, even though they've gone through severe illnesses, some have gone to be taken in the Lord's presence that rejoiced because he knew that God was sovereign in their lives. I think of Joseph Smith, I think of Janet Robinson, to name a few. We can rejoice and have inner joy because death is gain. Someday outside of the rapture of the church and we're still alive on this earth, we'll all die, but instantly we'll be in God's presence and that's gain. Also, again, we rejoice in the Lord because He saved us by His grace and His mercy. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's all God. We didn't have to push a certain button. We didn't have to check a certain box. We didn't have to say 
some certain words, but that belief in the Lord Jesus Christ that He died for our sins, we rejoice that we can accept that. and We repent of our sins and we turn to the Lord and say, change me. And we've gone from headed to hell to headed to heaven. All because of God. We are sinners who have no way to save ourselves. Listen to the word. I know we sing a lot of songs that are put together by sovereign grace, but I heard this one and I love the words. And I was thinking about salvation. It's entitled, He Will Hold Me Fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those He saves are His delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in His holy sight, He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by Him at such a cost, He will hold me fast. For my life He bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, He will hold me fast. Raised with Him to endless life, He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight when He comes at last. Great words. That should be our song every day. And we don't have to have a beautiful voice to sing, do we? What does it say in Scripture? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The noise isn't always pleasant, is it? But God hears it perfectly in tune when it's from our hearts. And that's what it's about. This idea of rejoicing in the Lord is emphasized two times. It says, again I will say rejoice. Why? Because He wants us to get it. Every day we can rejoice in the Lord. Romans 12.12 says rejoicing in hope. Our hope is based in the Lord, not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom and knowledge, but who our Lord and Savior is. One thing that I remember working at the jail, Pinellas County Jail, one thing is that you can pass along to inmates and you know what it is? It's hope. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. They seek hope. They want some hope because the path they're on isn't giving them any hope. God gives us our hope. One inmate in Pennsylvania shares this in a poem he wrote. His name is Robert, and he's currently serving in a facility in Pennsylvania. This is what he wrote. Upon a mountain's long, hard climb, I tend to lose my way, escaping from a miry pit and all its evil sway. I struggle as I take each step. Sometimes I slid back down, yet still I seek its pinnacle where all my hope is found. I know that once I reach the top, I'll find the peace I seek. Till then I know each step I take is flesh that's still so weak. I grab the rock. That gives me strength. His standing is of old. The rock I speak is Jesus' love. His grace will me uphold. Against God's grace. That's how we can 
get through each day. That's how we have those opportunities, whether it's at work or with a neighbor, or wherever that opportunity comes, whether it's at Publix and somebody rams you with their cart. Showing grace, showing mercy that we've been shown every day as we walk with the Lord. This idea of rejoicing, again, emphasized twice for emphasis. We need to understand it's important. Knowledge of God is the key to rejoicing. We must know God by reading, studying, meditating, memorizing and obeying God's Word and spending time in personal prayer time. I don't know about you, but I was challenged last week by Pastor Steve's message and our need to spend time in personal prayer each day. Fellowship with Almighty God, the One who saved us. Spending time, not only in the Word, but spending time in personal prayer. The Holy Spirit will enable us to do that. And I was challenged by that. And with God's grace, I am challenged myself to begin doing that this last week. It says in Psalm 1, 1 to 3, we're reminded, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in the season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's where we need to be walking. That's by spending time in the Word, but spending time in prayer as well. God wants to hear us come to Him. Thank Him, praise Him, Give our petitions to Him. One thing that I know that meant a lot to inmates in that service that Doug and I were able to lead was to hear how God answered prayer. To encourage those who are in the middle of something, maybe it's looking at a life sentence in prison, but to know that the hope is having that personal relationship with Jesus Christ and they can come to God in prayer and God doesn't say, I'm done with you. Go ahead and go to prison. I'm not going to hear you anymore. God always hears us. And He always answers. Our third attitude of action is shared in the first part of verse 5 where it says, Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. That third attitude is that we are content. We're satisfied. Gentleness or Satisfied contentment means a forbearing, easygoing spirit. Mercy and grace toward those who fail us. Big-hearted, gracious toward others. Being content with what God has given us. Everything material-wise we have on this earth, we're going to have to let go of someday. There's no U-Hauls in heaven. God's not going to say, well, you got a nice pile here. None of that junk up there. So everything we have here on this earth is on loan. Paul shared this kind of attitude of action in Philippians 1.18 with Jesus in John 8 where he showed compassion to a woman caught in adultery while the religious leader said, stone her. 
We need to quit trying to control everyone or everything and allow God to work in His way according to His plan. And here's the key in His timing. We can't rush God. We shouldn't. Why? God has the perfect plan. We're the ones who say, God, you're a little slow here. You know, I prayed about this one day and I don't see an answer. You need to say, God, it's your timing on the answer. Because I don't know about you, but in my own life, how many times have I been surprised by God's answer and it's far greater than I even prayed for? That ever happened to you? God does that all the time. We need to just be leaving it all up to Him. We need to have a yielding spirit toward God and content that we have another day to serve Him. We have January 7, 2018. And we need to learn to relax in life in knowing that we're doing all we can in God's power to have that close relationship with Jesus. How many ever struggle with relaxing? Oh, man, I'll tell you. Just things just keep going in our minds and say, well, just relax. Well, we've got to learn to let God help us relax because we get in a hurry too much. I know I do. I go through these drive throughs you know, and uh, in a hurry. And why is it taking them three minutes? Supposed to be quick. Person in front ordered for what, 12 people? And I'm still sitting here? <laughs> Patience, relaxing. We need to show mercy toward the shortcomings of others as they have to put up with our shortcomings. Believe it or not, we all have some. We spend too much time holding grudges trying to get somebody back that we waste that precious time God has given us on this earth. We're told to redeem the time. It's a gift from God every day. If we are content and satisfied with the blessings God has given us, we will show that fruit of gentleness toward others. Once we fully believe and practice that God is adequate for everything in our lives, we will bubble over with gentleness toward others, especially toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our fourth and final attitude of action we're going to look at today is shared in the end of verse 5 and the first part of verse 6. It says, The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. The end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6 tie together. Because the Lord is at a hand, we can be anxious for what? Nothing. What a fantastic promise to stabilize whatever comes into our lives. The end of November, I had the opportunity to visit with two military chaplains. One serving in the Navy, the other in the Army. One was falsely accused and the other was being attacked for taking a biblical stand on sexual purity. But it was so awesome to hear their testimony, how God is great still in their lives. That they were trusting God through this. And they knew God had a plan no matter what it was. Even though one's career was on the line, he said, God's always been faithful. I will continue to trust Him. They're on the front lines. They're in a real battle. And we don't hear about that that often. But we need to pray for those chaplains who are serving in the military and trying to stand 
on God's word. They're under attack. But I was so encouraged to hear that. I wanted to pass that on to you because one falsely accused was relieved of his command at that point. He was a command chaplain. Another one, a young chaplain, a young captain in the the army. They have something called Strong Bonds, which is an outreach to married couples. And one couple who is not a man and a woman wanted to attend, and he said he was going to share the biblical view, became under attack, and now there's been some grievances filed against him. But as a young believer, he said, you know, I know God's just as faithful today as he was yesterday. My confidence is in him. May his will be done. The Lord is near. God's presence is with us wherever we are. We don't need to be anxious over anything. David struggled and had to remind himself about God's constant presence in Psalm 57. He says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. We need to cry out to the Lord. Say, God, you're always faithful. Help me to trust you here. And not look at my own, what I can do, but rather to be willing to see what you will do. John MacArthur shares, The Lord who is near is the almighty, true, and living God revealed in Scripture. Because of the presence of God, believers are to be anxious for nothing. Nothing is outside of His sovereign control or too difficult for Him to handle. That's a comfort for us. God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as we apply that to our daily lives in Clearwater, Florida, or at our jobs, or with our families, or whatever comes our way, we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to worry. We put our energies rather in focusing on things in life that are totally in God's hands. Whatever that task is right before us to say, God, I want to obey you and do what you're telling me to do. One inmate put it this way, and he was facing a long sentence. And he shares this. He says, this is entitled, I Need You. Julius Lofton, he's in Milledgeville, Georgia, serving a 20-year sentence. Lord, I need to talk to you for direction and for guidance. My life seems to be at a standstill. I'm so lost and I need finding Make me lie down in green pastures. Lead me beside the still waters. I need you to take control of my life for the sake of my son and daughter. You alone know what's best for me. I need your grace and mercy. Protect me from the evil one and the wicked when they try to hurt me. Cleanse me thoroughly inside and out. Wash me in your blood. I know you will never forsake me or separate me from your love. I need to worship you. Because you deserve all the praise. I need your forgiveness daily for all my sinful ways. You are my Lord and Savior. The way, the life, the truth. At the end of the day, bottom line, all I need is you. When we're overwhelmed with worry, we need to ask ourselves, has God ever let me down? We need to reach back when we're anxious about something and remember all the times God has brought us through. 
Remembering anew, God is sovereign over everything in our lives. This morning we've looked at four of the seven attitudes of action we must have in our lives to be spiritually stable. They included maintaining unity in the body of Christ, of rejoicing in the Lord, of being content, and then leaning on a confident faith in the Lord. In two weeks, we'll look at the final three attitudes of action in Philippians 4. But I want to conclude this study to challenge myself and you as well. At least think on these things that God has in His Word. This is for us. This is for everyone here this morning. So that when something comes into our lives and we panic or we start to fear, we say, God, you're in control. You're sovereign. Help me to show the world around me. We all touch different people in our lives every day that they could see Jesus' power, God's strength in our lives when those difficult times come. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for this time this morning in your word in Philippians 4. Father, it's such a challenge. Father, we don't know how much time we have on this earth. Some of us may have another 50 years. Some of us may have another day. Help us to use each day wisely. Help us to to show that you're real because of our relationship with with you. That day to day we can walk with you. That you give us the strength to do what you've told us to do in your word and commanded us. Father, we spend time in prayer as we've been challenged here. Help us, Lord, to walk with you as Enoch walked. Help us to walk with you as those who have gone before us have as examples for us. And help us, Lord, to be open to you through your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.